Rob Warlow from Business Loan Services and welcome again to another edition of the Business Finance Bulletin Extra. I'm delighted to welcome on the show today Spencer Lehman from uh, Kerwin's Law, Head of the Commercial Department. So welcome Spencer and thanks very much for sparing some time today. Thank you Rob, nice to uh, be on the call. Yeah, great. Now, one of the reasons I, I called you to see if you want to share some of your insights today is particularly around the topic of contracts. But before we go into that, um, just give us a, a quick background to who you are, what you do, and what your kind of key responsibilities in Kerwin's is. Fine, no problem, Rob. Um, so uh, I am what's known as a business lawyer or a company commercial lawyer. So my focus very much is about um, doing all manner of contracts on all sorts of situations. So it might be transactional, buying or selling a business, entering in joint ventures. It might be advisory, advising on terms and conditions, licensing intellectual property. Um, I'm a, a solicitor, uh, qualified originally as a barrister, cross-qualified shortly thereafter. I have about 20 years experience. Mm. Um, I ran my own law firm for six years. Um, about three and a half years ago, I merged in with Kerwin's and I head up the uh, commercial departments and we're about a 23 uh, fee earner practice with offices in Enfield, Hoddesdon and Royston. Okay. Oh, good, sir. So you're one of the rare people who made a transition of, uh, say, starting your own firm and then moving into a bigger firm. So a big transition. Well, I've, I've kind of worked in very big super firms in the distant past when I was training and gradually got a little bit smaller being uh, running your own practice on your own was probably a bit too small so sort of stepping back up again yeah well good stuff excellent well thanks for that Spencer now as I said the reason I uh, wanted to have a chat with you because I know your specialism is about a commercial or particularly around contracts now uh, as we're recording this um, at the moment clearly we're in what people are calling and there's this phrase we're hearing all the time now unprecedented times in terms of the coronavirus and I was interested to kind of uh, get your insights on contracts and the impact that the coronavirus is having in terms of the contracts that businesses are entering into I'm often having conversations with business owners and um, we're kind of regretting in a way that they've entered into some kind of contracts and are wondering exactly where they stand. So I just thought it would be useful to get your kind of insights. So what are you seeing now as the common situations that are arising out of the current issues that we're facing? Okay, um, I, I, I can get, get straight into that because obviously the, the, the big uh, sort of headlines are the, um, the sort of the squeeze that, that's mm. happening, uh, the cash squeeze, the resource squeeze, um, it might be helpful just to take a very quick, just depending on when people look at this and, and, and listen, a step back to, to, to uh, say to the viewers where we are uh, in, in the situation. Um, so as at today's date, the 29th of April, um, you know, we're, we're um, obviously very early stage in, in the situation. We had the outbreak uh, end of 2019 and very quickly in 2020, we've had We've gone from a public health emergency to um, a pandemic to a lockdown in the UK for uh, around five weeks. And um, we've had numerous uh, businesses uh, that have been closed, four million odd people on furlough. Mm. Uh, we've got a, a, a UK recession. And actually, I was looking at the Bank of England monetary policy. Um, one of their statements is early indicators that we're experiencing an economic contraction that's faster and deeper 
than anything we've seen in the past century or possibly mm. several centuries. So yeah. I, I don't mean to start off on a, a low, but it's um, that there is a lot of pressure um, um, because of what's happened. Um, and, you know, the thing that's been in the news most of all has been this cash flow pressure um, where if you're a, um, a supplier and you're not being paid, um, you're at one end of the scale. And then on the other end of the scale, if you're uh, buying in services and you're, and you're, or goods and you're selling them down the line and then you're not being paid, you've got this sort of vicious cycle going round. Mm. You've got the cash pressure. Um, you've got the resource pressure. People just aren't available to be able to provide services uh, either completely uh, or on time. Uh, as you would expect, based on the original contractual terms, mm. and and you know it's it's you know, we hear this phrase continuity planning that is the kind of rage uh, yeah. rage for obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's clear the conversations similarly I'm having with business owners. Yeah, cash flow is is clearly the the major problem. I mean, whenever you look at top three concerns and pressures that business owners have, it's often cash flow. But obviously, this has been yes. uh, really exacerbated the problem. And of course, yeah, cash flow kind of underpins the kind of I, I guess legal and moral contract that many people have with their suppliers, for example. And yeah, it's interesting that you tie it into resources as well. So, yeah, I mean, we are really in these times. I think I'm reading the figure that the GDP is expected to contract by about 35%, which is, uh, you know, absolutely a horrendous figure. And I yep. guess this is now where contracts can help you and I guess hinder you as well as we perhaps start to come out of this, hopefully over the next couple of months. Well, maybe I think there's there's one thing coming out of it in terms of easing up on lockdown but until we're actually properly through um the situation um you know with vaccine and drug treatment uh, and, and we know what the the sort of social responses are actually this situation may just be um the um end of the beginning but the the start of something that could be quite yeah. a lot more going forward and actually the idea of you know your business contracts what they say take on a whole new meaning because rather than just deferring these what if scenarios what if this what if that actually now it is so relevant um and you can't ignore uh, issues that sometimes just were were secondary yeah so what kind of common contracts are now do you think business owners going to be looking at closely as to whether they actually protect them or and to be in the proverbial albatross around their neck. What are you seeing on kind of common issues coming out now of these contracts? Okay, so at the moment, it's I would say we're still quite early stages. Um, I've noticed looking at some of my peers, some of my colleagues, it's almost like a tsunami of uh, we've had loads of questions in, on this and hundreds of questions on that. And mm. I'm thinking actually, you know, it, there's probably a lot of questions coming through, but the, the, the level of uh, um, sort of information that's been that's come, coming out, I think, is almost too much. Um, certainly, from my, I can tell you from my own experience with my own book of work that I was dealing with, the, the, the sort of traditional um, transactional stuff, like we're buying a business um, or we're going into a joint venture, or we need to review this contract to make sure it's correct. That sort of stuff, um, I hate the expression, but has practically been mothballed mm. um, very, very quickly. 
um, though I've had a number of inquiries that have come through um, to say things like, I don't have a problem yet, but actually I think I may have a problem, so what are my rights? Um, so for example, if someone is involved in a, a joint venture or an acquisition, and there may be a number of uh, uh, steps to go, there may be some hurdles that set the price, um, you know, it might now be a bad deal, you know, mm. what happens if my business partner isn't able to deliver? So what are my rights generally? Um, clearly, uh, we've had questions that come in relating to the cash flow problem, and it's either I can't pay or I'm not going to be paid. So what, what happens? Mm. Um, I've had questions um, um, relating to a business divorce, um, you know, so you have your, your regular home divorce, but actually when partners in a business mm. don't get on or they can't work together, uh, that's exacerbated. Mm. Um, I've had uh, someone inquire about whether it's appropriate to be a company director now and what are the uh, implications on things like wrongful trading, mm. um, as well as just the sort of smaller, lower level questions like how do we sign off on a document? I don't actually want to go out and you know uh, have someone witness my document and catch mm. catch an infection. Go back to the, the the common problem currently about cash flow and contracts that mm. uh, suppliers and um, will have written with their customers. Obviously, your clients could be at one end, either they're a supplier or, or the buyer. Let's look at um, what can happen on both ends of that. So let's look if you're the supplier and your client um, is trying to renege on the contract, either in terms of accepting delivery of goods or having already received the goods is refusing to pay. So what are your rights as the supplier in either of those two situations? That's, that's quite a, a wide question. It, um, it would depend on um, what your contract provides um, and in general terms, you uh, and if your contract was silent, you'd look to see what your uh, what the common law says. And you have mm. the Sale of Supply of Goods Act, um, Sale of Goods Act, which you, we, which we could look at. But essentially, in a supply chain, you typically have contracts, um, which are more often than not, um, unless it's a very high-valued item that's particular. A, a high-valued service that's uh, quite unique and bespoke that might be negotiated. Uh, 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 more often, you have a standard form contract. Um, and if you're a supplier, this is your standard terms of sale. Mm. So you would have a, uh, a contract that would be in your favour as a supplier and not so favourable to your customer. And you would make things like time for delivery estimates, um, you would give yourself some buffers so that if there were problems, you would be able to excuse yourself from delivery uh, being late. We can talk about force majeure, but you're likely to have um, a force majeure uh, clause uh, in the contract and maybe uh, even early termination rights just as a sort of blanket exit. Uh, whereas if you're the customer in that type of situation, um, you know, and, and you were negotiating the contract and, and the contract was drafted in your favour, it, it, it would almost be like the reverse provisions. Mm. If um, uh, supply was going to be late, then that would be a material default entitling you to uh, immediate remedies. It may entitle you to um, uh, treat the contract as, um, as a material breach, entitling you to terminate the contract. 
to be able to appoint another supplier, whatever the cost, and then charge that back up the line. Um, you know, it, it really depends. You mentioned force majeure there. That's, a, that's mm. an interesting legal term that often hear banding around. Just talk about that briefly and what rights that gives people. So force majeure uh, and also frustration, they're, they're the two keywords that are being used at the moment. Um, and often clients will talk about, oh, well, you know, the contract's frustrated because of the coronavirus. Mm. Um, you know, or we can rely on force majeure. So we need to sort of treat each concept separately. And if we talk about, first of all, force majeure, and then we can look at frustration because they are very separate concepts. Mm. Um, force majeure is really just a term of a contract. It's nothing more, nothing less. Um, and it's given its name because of um, the background to how, how it was created. But essentially, it's a, a clause in a contract that says that when you enter into this contract, um, if something happens that's a problem later down the line and it's beyond our control, then we have uh, an excuse. We don't have to perform. Um, we can or, or we can bring the, the contract to an end. That's the kind of headline concept of a force majeure clause. Mm, okay so i guess the other party would try and have that excluded from a contract if possible because as you said it's really a kind of a, a catch-all that allows me to get out of it so is it a standard standard clause you would see in all contracts regardless of how strong your negotiating position is it, it really depends on contract to contract um so quite often you would find some type of force majeure clause and um, when we talked about the fact that contracts might be favorable for a supplier or a customer, and actually, um, you know, if, if an event happens and a supplier can't perform, in actual fact, performance is never, um, you know, the condition of the contract. It's not a material term. I mean, that is almost like a limitation of liability clause. And there might be a number of other limitation of liability clauses in a contract, such as, look, if we've got it wrong and we can't perform and you have a right to sue us, the maximum we can be sued for is going to be set at a certain amount. So these are all limitations and force majeure, if you like, is just another one of the, in the armory uh, weapons that uh, limit liability. Mm. Um, it doesn't even have to be labelled as force majeure. It's just any clause that talks about the concept of um, if we can't uh, do what we've uh, uh, contracted to do because some event happens beyond our control, then we should be excused. Mm. And it might be as simple as a one line. I've seen force majeure type clauses and it's just one sentence. Whereas you can have force majeure that can go on for a good couple of pages where you set out a lot more detail and a lot more regulation as to exactly when you can rely on force majeure mm. okay what about in times like this now, obviously many business businesses will have had long established relationships and very much been trading on trust now trust can often be um you know really put to the test in times like this what if somebody has actually hasn't got any kind of formal contract the basis of the historic law which is always say well if you don't have anything in writing you're covered to this degree is there anything like that available to protect people 
That's a very good question. Um, if you've got a long-standing uh, relationship, I would be surprised if there wasn't at some point some terms and conditions that were written down. It, I mean, it, do, it does happen, but more often, um, certainly in my experience, there are some terms and conditions um, that would have existed. And, and quite often you have um, terms and conditions that would have been used um, in the beginning, but then as uh, the relationship develops and you have more and more orders, the, the subsequent orders then may not properly go through that um, contract formation process where the, the, the older terms weren't incorporated as you would expect, mm. but actually you might be able to say through custom that they are still incorporated in any event. If, if you return to your question, you don't have any terms at all, then uh, clearly there will be uh, implied terms under uh, legislation. And, you know, in terms of uh, the term as to when you need to uh, supply your uh, services and goods, it will be based on a reasonable amount of time, which will be based on whatever the type of contract and situation is. It's difficult mm -hmm. to to yeah. give a specific so we were talking about force majeure and you mentioned then about the other the, the other one about frustration which you mentioned there as well so let's talk about a little bit about, about that then about how people can claim that a contract has been frustrated okay so frustration is uh i think a much harder concept to um avail yourself of and although it's being used um quite um you know, casually that oh, well, we can just say the contract's frustrated. It, it's a it, it is a lot a lot harder to say. It's a um, not a, a term of a contract at all. It's a um, a legal doctrine. It's where the law will step in and provide protection to uh, uh, deal with either vulnerable uh, situations. And and there are a number of what we call vitiating concepts or vitiating factors mm -hmm. like um, misrepresentation, duress, mistake and frustration is one of those vitiating factors okay. um, and if you can show that your contract has been frustrated then the effect is it just kills the contract, it kills it automatically and it kills it immediately. There's, there's no um, term to look at but the bar is set really high to show that your contract has been frustrated. You can't, you can't just say it's frustrated because mm. we've hit bad times. Mm. Um, if you look at the case law, um, you know, it's because, you know, you were providing a, um, maybe a service at a particular building. It had to be that building and that building has been uh, destroyed. So, you know, typically if you had a war, you know, and a bomb hits the building or a fire, that, that's very different. Here with coronavirus, infrastructure is still pretty much intact. It's just yeah. people are staying at home. Um, if, if you have a contract for a specific person to provide a specific service and that person is incapacitated or dies, then the contract's going to be frustrated. Right. Um, if you were supplying goods and services, say, overseas, and it becomes illegal to now um, supply goods and services to that particular country, that's another example where the contract uh, may be frustrated. Um, I mean, it, it really is um, a situation where the contract has been made impossible to fulfill. Mm. 
um, or it's so radically different than what was in the minds of uh, the parties at the time of entering into the contract. Um, so the coronavirus, as I say, is a horrendous situation, but it, it, it may be it's not uh, impossible to continue to fulfil the contract. It's just it's a bad deal. So let's have a look. Let's turn to now where you know, clearly a contract's not been delivered on by either side. What are our options now? We've obviously tried to have a, a civilised debate about it. But what happens if that relationship um, is completely broken? Let's look at the various options that people have to kind of pursue terms under the contract. Well, I suppose the start point is um, if you are um, a business and you're looking to um, defer performance, defer delivery, defer payments, um, then um, really the best thing you can probably do, um, if it's a one-off situation, it's a one-off contract as opposed to, right, it's the whole business as a whole. I think we can look at if, if your whole business is having problems, um, it's a different category. But if these are one-off contracts, the, the first thing to do is obviously just talk to the supply chain, just mm. talk to the other side. I think um, silence is always going to put the, the concerns into anybody. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly with, with the work that you do, lending, you know, where you know banks want to know uh, and lenders want, want to know, are they going to be paid the next instalment? And not hearing is, is uh, not a very good uh, sign, yeah. it's a very good indicator. Yeah, yeah you're so, right. I mean, it's one piece of advice that Ola's give where people got into trouble as regards um, making commitments. Uh, yeah, just don't go silent because otherwise the other party will make up their own narrative. They will fill in the gaps themselves as to what's going on. So, yes, it's the worst thing you can do, isn't it? So, um, see, see what you can arrange. Um, now, there isn't, I don't, I don't have the wisdom of Solomon. I don't, I don't have, you know, universal solutions and magic wands that will just fix problems. But clearly, you know, if you can agree, if you can't agree the, you know, the so-called payment holiday where you just stop paying, or stop performing mm. um, if you can agree a deferment say for example with payment it's not that you're not going to pay you are going to pay but you'll just pay a little bit later mm. so if you've got a I don't know 12 month subscription um, and you're I don't know month one month two um, let, let's see if we can reduce you know the next three months by by half 50 percent or, or, or just cancel the payments um, but take that that would have been paid and stick it on the back end and just yeah. increase the next six, seven, eight payments to see if you can negotiate some type of uh, deferral. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I guess in these current times, we've got to be uh, quite sensible as regards what's achievable out of a negotiation. I mean, both sides have got to accept that um, you know, it's not easy times. And I suppose uh, both sides need to calm down and come to, say, I guess, to a negotiated settlement on any contract. And I suppose a review or a renewal of the terms would be appropriate as well. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, if if you're agreeing something which is quite straightforward as a a, a deferment, I don't think you would necessarily want to get um, too excited on how you agree the variation. Probably an exchange of letters, an exchange of emails may be appropriate. Some types of contracts that are executed as deeds, for example, leases and contracts of high value financial documents 
yes, you might need some formality if you want the certainty that whatever you agree is binding. So I guess from your point of view, um, the earlier you would get involved in negotiations and discussions, the better, I guess, because I guess there's nothing worse from your point of view, picking up a, a badly drafted contract and trying to uh, uh, trying to get a, a good resolution. So earlier, the better for you in terms of, say, drawing up contracts. Yeah, and I think it also uh, varies uh, lawyer to lawyer. I mean, my background very much is transactional. Um, it's a company commercial lawyer, so I'm very much about you know, getting contracts right from the start rather than picking up a problem down the road and trying to put it under the microscope and looking at all the different, you know, oh, they should have done that, should have done this. For me, it's about getting it right from from the offset, you know, being your fence at the the top of the hill rather than, you know, the ambulance at the bottom. Hmm. Um, And, yes, so, no, look, for for me, my relationships I have with clients um that they're always better when you're at the, the start of a process good stuff good well we're coming to the end of our time surely what would you kind of your your key messages that you would uh, want to leave people with spencer in terms of managing drawing up and uh, negotiating on contracts what would you say your key messages would be the key message would be to try and build some contract resilience uh, and fitness um, if you're not already familiar with um, the contract law uh, creation and the, the key contract law uh, terms and conditions that should go into a contract definitely now is a really good time to sort of build up that um, sounds a bit cheesy but muscle um, do your contract law press ups uh, understand about you know what are limitation of liability clauses what are exclusion clauses how to draft them there is a lot of technical uh, lawyer input that can be required but it's worthwhile reviewing uh, your contracts to make sure that they are you know you might have stress tested your contracts when it came to GDPR and everyone was telling us about, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you know, otherwise you can't even talk to your mailing list and mm. do these addendums. Then we had Brexit and it was like a whole another language, you know, backstops, withdrawals, customs. Um, and and now, now it's uh, coronavirus. Um, so, so really now, now is uh, an excellent time to think about uh, being uh, smart on contracts. Mm. If, if, if necessary, get them reviewed by uh, a professional to make sure that they are appropriate uh, for your situation. And think about the what ifs, because more than ever now, um, you think, oh, well, you know, it's never going to happen. It can happen. And if it does, then where, where are you? Spencer, that, that's been really, really, really useful. Um, if somebody wants to get hold of you, how can we do that? What's your email address and web? So the uh, email address is spencer.laymond at Kerwin, C-U-R-W-E-N-S dot co.uk uh, or the switchboard 0208 um, At the moment, I'm working from home, not in this uh, <laughs> glorious uh, office behind me. So if you call into the office, um, the switchboard will put it through to the number which is redirected back. Yeah. Um, just taking a leaf out my uh, my book um, about uh, being smart. One thing we should have done from the beginning was just given the disclaimer. Uh, obviously, this is uh, hopefully a helpful conversation for, mm. for your 
listeners um, and um, this isn't specific legal advice these are sort of general principles and that if you do have a an actual uh, specific problem then definitely get um, your specific legal advice yeah i shouldn't be just uh, uh, kind of surprised by a disclaimer from a lawyer here it's it? usually at the beginning not not at the end but we, I'll we'll sort that out we'll, i'll put the health warning on at the beginning of the of the interview as well <laughs> hey spencer really appreciate you taking time and i realize yeah, sure. we touched a, a lot there and of course very hard to be specific about issues but you've given us some great general pointers about watching for the pitfalls when it comes to contracts and I think the key message for me is certainly now about um, taking the opportunity to review contracts in terms so we're we're kind of fit from that perspective to make sure we don't fall foul. Spencer, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking Thank the time you, from the chat. Lovely. Thank you, Rob. Nice to speak. We'll speak. We'll speak again. Thank you. Bye, Spencer. Bye, Bye now. Bye bye.